text that can be found in the inside of your bulletin, page four, as we begin our sermon series. And so this series is called Christmas Presents from Our Heavenly Father. Um, uh, so much comes along with Jesus Christ that he's brought to us. And so we're going to look at four specific presents over the next four weeks. And the first present we're going to look at is the present, the gift of hope that comes with the coming of Jesus Christ. So this is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Well, Black Friday began. Along with Advent comes the Christmas shopping season. Liel and I have a new strategy, which is not to leave our home at all. We, we hide in a corner with a glass of wine and go to our new best friend, Amazon and do our buying there. It's painless. It's beautiful. I love it. I don't care where you live, Jeff Bezos. You can have everything. Just make sure my stuff gets here in two days or less. Now, the great thing about Amazon is you can see what other people are buying, right? They have something called the most wished for list, the most hoped for list, if you will. So I was glancing through the most hoped for list to see what other people were hoping for. And so here are some of the things on the Amazon's most hoped for list. Uh, if you're looking for a movie, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, darn good uh, DVD to have in your collection. Does anyone still use DVDs? I'm dating myself already, how embarrassing. How about this, number, three, uh, number one on the book selection, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. That woman keeps churning out books and printing money, darn it, and I'm going to read it because I'm sure it's good. I prefer book number three, The Narcissist You Know. Here I am. You know him, now you know his name. But there's more. How about this gift? I found this very interesting. The uh, toy, a giant inflatable donut pool float. Can someone explain to me who's buying a giant inflatable donut pool float in December as one of the top gifts on Amazon? There's some warm people. I like this one, well, Amazon Echo, of course. You can't trust whether that thing's really one of the top sellers or not. But the Falcon Zero Dash Cam. Anybody know what this is? It's sort of taken the selfie to the next level. You can mount this thing on your car and thus protect yourself. If somebody runs into you, it's like, you know, they're making the police wear these things. Well, this thing is on your car. So, you know, if something happens, you have the footage to prove that they did it to you. And if you did it to them, you can always blank the hard drive, right? <laughs> Most hoped for on Amazon. 
You know, wouldn't it be interesting if you could see a most hoped for in life? I don't see that on Amazon, you know, but the most hoped for list in life. I was trying to compile one of these myself, thinking, what is the most hoped for things? What are the things that we really hope for in life? These were some of the things that I came up with. We hope for love. We hope for health and long life. We may hope for kids. We may hope for peace in your life. Maybe you hope for prestige, recognition, or accomplishment. Maybe you hope for money or expensive gifts or presents. Maybe you hope for friends. Maybe you hope for some of these things, or maybe you don't hope at all. The holidays can be a very difficult time. And the truth of the matter is, some of us here have lost hope. The things that we have hoped for or wished for that have been on our list for years have not come to pass. Or sometimes, even worse, we've hoped for something with all of our hearts and we've received it, but it's faded. In other words, we put all of our hearts in it and once we get it, we realize that it doesn't really meet the deepest desires and longings of our hearts. Sometimes, it's better not to hope than to hope and be disappointed. You see, hope is a dangerous thing. It's a risky thing. Because one opposite of hope is fear, which is the desire for something not to happen, combined with an anticipation of it happening. You see, inherent in every hope is a fear, and in every fear is a hope. And so sometimes, it's better not to hope than to hope and be disappointed. But the truth of the matter is, we need hope in life, don't we? Life is hard enough. To live with hopelessness is like death. So how are we to trust and hope that hope will not disappoint us? I think this is why the first present of Christmas that I want to talk about is hope. Because God has brought us a hope. But it's more than simply a hope, it's a living hope. It's a hope that will not disappoint us. A hope that will last until the end. A hope that will bring life and not simply, in the end, amount to nothing. So I want to talk about three particular things. Number one, God promises to bring a living hope. What is this living hope? How is a living hope different than a regular hope? That's the first thing we're going to talk about. Then number two, we're going to talk about this. Why do we need a living hope, not just a regular hope? And then finally, number three, we're going to talk about how do we live day to day in this living hope, this present that God is bringing us, has brought us. Because Jesus Christ is the hope for then that has come alive for now. Let's look at our first point. What is a living hope? Well, before we have to answer that question, we have to ask the question, what is a hope? I went to uh, Webster's Dictionary and this is what I got for hope. To cherish a desire with anticipation. You're hoping for something. You, there's an enjoyment that comes from it. There's an anticipation that comes from it. To desire something with expectation of fulfillment. Nobody hopes for something that you don't think you're ever going to get, right? That would be hopelessness. No, you're hoping for it. 
The question is, why do we need hope? I read this article in Psychology Today by Dr. Neil Burton called The Psychology of Hope. Burton said that hope is foundational for life. Hope makes present hardship less difficult to bear, whether this be loneliness, poverty, sickness, or just the traffic daily commute. Because we need hope, because life is difficult. Indeed, Burton says, even in a theoretical absence of hardship, still hope is needed. For man in general is not content to be content, but yearns for enterprise and change. I found that to be quite interesting from this secular psychologist, that man is not content to be content. There is something that stirs in us that is longing for something more and anticipation and hope for something to be fulfilled. Sometimes we can't even put our name to it. We can't put a name to it. It's scratching at the back of our mind. We're not sure what it is. And so we need hope, even in the absence of hardship. Our lives are difficult, but we know people who have even more difficult lives. But we need hope. Conversely, Burton says, hopelessness is both a cause and a symptom of depression. And within depression, a strong predictor of suicide. What do you hope for out of life is one of my stock questions as a psychiatrist that Burton asks. And if my patient replies nothing, I have to take that very seriously. When you think about it, death itself is hopelessness. If you ever read Dante's Inferno, if you're walking into the inferno, into hell, there is a sign above the gates of hell that says, through me you enter the city of woe. Through me you go to everlasting pain. Through me you go among the lost people. Justice moved my exalted creator. By the holiest power was I made in supreme wisdom and primal love. Nothing before I was made was made but things eternal. And I too am eternal. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And so we must hope. The question is, what do we hope for? We can hope for things and they be the wrong things. It's like straightening deck chairs on the Titanic. Or spending all of your life climbing a ladder that you put against a wall only to discover it's the wrong wall. I think that there is a hope that is behind all other hopes. When you examine hope in the Bible, if you just did this, if you were able to go online and search hope in the Bible, you will find the word hope associated with another word almost all the time. And that word is redemption. Psalm 137, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. What are you hoping in? What are the Israelites hoping in? What are we who are the spiritual Israelite to hope in? To hope for redemption. A steadfast love. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8.20. That creation has been subjected to frustration. In the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What Paul is saying is that hope and that creation has been subjected to frustration. There's a decay in it. There's a 
prison to it. That we're breaking down. We know, Paul says, that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. But not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what he, has already, what he already has? See, what the Bible is saying is that creation is broken. The world is broken. We are broken. Our relationship with God is broken. And that ultimately what redemption is, is restoration to the way that we were meant to be to the relationship with God that we were meant to have, that of peace and love. When you think of these things, this list that I talked about, the most hoped for things in life, I want you to look for the hope that is behind the hope. Why do we want money and expensive gifts and presents? I think the hope behind the hope is for security, for security that will last for a foundation. Why do we look for prestige and honor? We look for it from the world, but the hope behind the hope is the hope that God will look at us this way. That it's God who will look at us and see us and love us. Give us honor and glory and prestige. Why do we look for friends and love and peace because we long for love from the world. But even deeper, we long for the love that can only be given by God. We're looking for redemption, my friends. We're looking for redemption, but redemption is more than simply a new status. I often get the opportunity to counsel people, particularly I think of young people, uh, young men or women who might be single who are interested in getting married. And when I talk with them about relationships, they tell me, you know, I'm just waiting and I'm looking for that person of my dreams. I say, well, what are you doing while you're looking for the person of your dreams? I'm not doing anything. I'm just waiting for them to come along. So I ask them the question, well, when they come along, what are they going to see when they see you? Because my guess is they're probably looking for the person of their dreams too, right? How do you know that you're going to be the person of their dreams? See, what you should be working on is working on yourself. So when that person comes along and is looking for the person of their dreams, they're going to see you. See, we're longing for a new status. But ultimately what we need is a new us. We long for God to give us a new status. But what we ultimately need is a new me. What I need is a new birth. That is why Jesus said to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. So you see, we need more than a hope. We need a living hope because we need life. We need someone who is going to bring life into the world and resurrect me to be the person who is worthy to be called Son of God. 
Blessed be, verse 3 says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great new mercy, great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, where do we get this life? We get it from the one who came into the world. Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by the Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. John 1.9 tells us that the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he proved that he was life by being raised from the dead. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ has become the one who stands in between us and God, who represents us, not on the base of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. And so I find it quite ironic, ironic this Christmas season that a baby came into the world to rebirth us. To rebirth us again to a living hope. Jesus has come to give me new life. A new life which He begins in me through the Holy Spirit. And a life He will complete at the end of all things. And so He is my hope as I look at Him and see His life, that I can be like Him. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out Abba and Father. Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you a, an heir. Because I have a living hope, I have a sure inheritance. Verse 4. I have been rebirthed into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for me. Jesus Christ, the one who has rebirthed me, who is bringing me to the Father, who has restored me to glory through Him, has given me a sure inheritance that I am traveling toward. It's imperishable. It can't be take to, taken away. It won't fade. And it's kept in heaven. So that at the end, we may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you see that passage there, uh, that verse. That's in verse, um, uh, verse 7. I read that and I always thought about what he's talking about is at the end when we see Jesus Christ, that we will be able to praise and glory, give glory and honor Him. But it's actually saying the exact opposite. The result of this living hope and inheritance is when I arrive to heaven that praise and glory and honor will be given to me and you and all who have the living hope of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you saw the recent news that came out this week. I've been talking about it for a while but they've discovered that a giant deposit of buried ice exists on Mars. Anybody see this? I'm sure everybody follows things of this nature, right? Remember Mars, you know, if you've ever seen the movies, it's this 
rock. It's a dead planet, right? Well, they saw something on Mars' surface and it looked like a bunch of ripples. And they said, you know, that looks exactly like what you see in, the, in Antarctica, the wind blowing over. And so they sent the satellites and all of that stuff and they discovered that there is a giant deposit of buried ice that is roughly the size or the quantity of Lake Superior. 2,900 cubic miles of water. It's bigger than the size of New Mexico. And it's only about three feet under the surface of Mars. It's quite amazing. Because what that means is that life is possible on this dead rock. That life can be sustained on it. That you can inhabit it, so to speak. That which was a dead rock lying right beneath the surface is actually a possible paradise. Jesus Christ came into the world to give life to that which is dead. To bring life to that which had no life. To bring hope to that which was inhabitable, inhospitable, where God could not dwell. Now God can dwell. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel exactly like Mars. I look at my life. I look at my thoughts. And I wonder, can these bones yet live? I need more than platitudes and strategies and a new attitude of how to live. I need more than hope. I need a living hope. One who's come before. One who can bring life into my life. One who can take me from the depths of despair to the heights of heaven. One who can remove my status of shame and instead replace it with glory. Christ came to bring the present of hope and the present of life. So what are you hoping in? What's your list this Christmas? Greater status? Reconciled relationships? More money? More things? I'm not saying any of those things are bad things. But they're not going to bring life. They're not going to bring glory from the hope behind the hope, the one that really matters. Don't settle for a lesser hope. And the great thing about this hope is we need not fear because it is kept in heaven for us by the one who is God in heaven, gone to heaven ahead of us. Jesus is the living hope. And here's why we need it. Notice in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This word grieved is actually the same word that Jesus uses when he is suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he's so agonized over what's going to happen that he's sweating blood? We sort of glance over that and we think, oh, they're having a difficult time. Well, they are suffering. There is some evidence that the time in which Paul is writing is right around that time of Nero. 
Remember Nero who used to take Christians and he would light them on fire on torches so he could walk through his garden? These people are losing their lives. They're losing the earthly things that they hoped for. Their earthly hopes are being stripped away. And here's the truth, my friends. Yours will too. At one time or another, as you go on in life, your hopes will be stripped away. Say, Carlos, that's a very cynical picture of life. It could be. But here's the reality as I look in the mirror and I see myself aging. The ones that you love, they will pass on. Maybe ahead of you. Maybe before you. The things that you consider so sweet will lose their taste. See, we have a choice as we go through life. See, these people are experiencing it right then and there. But our lives, they're spread out. But they will come. And so how will we respond to the losses of life? Here's how people respond. Number one, you can get bitter. Life has dealt me a bad hand. And you can get angry and upset at life. And you'll generally, you'll just shrivel up and die on the inside. As you're angry at what life has given you. Or you can deny it, right? Everything's great. It's wonderful. We're having a good time. Or you can live. Because here's what's powerful in this verse. In this you rejoice, present tense. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Being grieved, present tense. These people are rejoicing and grieving at the same time. Doesn't make sense in the world. Those two are like a seesaw, right? When you're rejoicing, you're not grieving. When you're grieving, you're not rejoicing. And the goal is to get to the rejoicing and the not grieving. It's not life. They're both. See, otherwise, this is what your life looks like all the time. But what if we can rejoice and grieve at the same time? See, the reason we can rejoice is that our hope goes past this world. It's an infinite reference point. It's a living hope that does not die and perish like the hopes of this world. See, there's a misnomer in Christian circles, right? How are you doing? You're spending time with someone. You know their life stinks. They've just lost someone. They've just whatever. They feel like they can't grieve, right? Yeah, things are tough, but I'm just praising the Lord, right? What about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Was he just praising the Lord? He was suffering. But who the joy, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. What about Job? Whole life gets taken away, right? All of his kids, all of his money, all of his everything. One day, Job rips his clothes. He cries out. He pours ashes on his head. And yet it says in the midst of this, Job did not sin. We can always rejoice, even as we grieve. We have the freedom 
to really feel. Because our hope is a living hope. Our destiny is sure. We need a living hope so that we will not be overcome by the grief of this world. But we can overcome it while acknowledging it. Grieving actually builds joy. Look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, something's happening when you take gold and you want to refine it. You've got to take off those impurities, right? The sorrows and griefs, griefs of this world as they assail us are in a way stripping away that which is false and strengthening and purifying that which is true. It's not that the trials are false. It's just that the hope shines brighter and brighter as we experience the loss. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. They're not light and momentary, except in relation to that which is to occur, the eternal glory. Remember the story of the deathly hallows? There were three brothers. This was in a Harry Potter. I think it came from the tales of Beetle the Bard, which I keep right next to my Bible when I need some light reading. There are these three brothers, the Peveril brothers, right? And they needed to get across a bridge, and so they conjured a bridge using some magic. Well, Death, who was enraged at losing its, his prize, met them on the gate, met them on the bridge. And he wanted to trick them, and he, so he asked them, what do they want? Well, the first one wanted indestructibility, and so he chose the Elder Wand, a wand that could defeat anyone else. The next one chose the resurrection stone because then he could bring people back from the dead. And finally, the third was the one that chose the invisibility cloak where he could hide. See, they all wanted to stave off death in their own way. The elder wand with power. And so the man, the, the brother with the wand, he goes off and he fights people. He can kill everyone, but he can't kill death. And so in the end, death finds them and defeats them. And death takes his first prize. The resurrection stone, brother, he now can get the thing that he hoped for the most, his long-lost love. And so he conjures her up, brings her back to life, so to speak. But something is missing. She's there in body, but her spirit is gone. She's not the same. And so in the end, he kills himself so that he can go to be with her. Then finally, the one who apparently was the smartest covers himself with the invisibility cloak so that he cannot be seen by death. And death goes searching and can't find them, find him until ultimately at the end, at old age, he takes off his cloak and he presents himself to death, meeting as a friend to go to the other world. This is the best that the world can do to hide from death. But let me suggest to you that we don't even need to hide from death. Because of a living hope. 
We can stare death in the face from the beginning. Because death has no hold over us. Death has no sting. We need nothing more than a living hope. The one who goes before us. And so in this world, to live is Christ. For we have him. And to die is gain. And so Christian, you can venture forth in this life unafraid. Not hiding, escaping. But rather hoping. Have you become bitter in life? Have you said the heck with it? Just going to shut myself off. I'm not going to feel. Just going to be angry. Or are you having to continuously lie to yourself? It's all good. Everything's great. It's going to be fine. Or have you allowed yourself to rejoice and sorrow at the same time? Because it's only then that you can truly love people for all their faults and foibles. It's really only then that you can love yourself because you have a living hope. This brings me to my final point. How do we live in this day by day? You know, you can be a Christian and not live in a living hope even though you have it. I appreciate the last verse, though you have not seen him, verse 8, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You know why we need a living hope? Because we walk through a living hell. Earth, it's been said, is the closest a Christian can ever get to heaven. And the closest a non-Christian can ever get to hell. I need more than a promise. I need Him. Now. Today. And so Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And surely I will be with you. To the very end of the age. And so today, though I can't see Him, I can feel Him. If I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, if I fix my eyes on things above, not things of this earth, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me. God sent Jesus, the living hope, back in time, if you will. Because Jesus is the hope for then, that has come alive for now. And my invisibility cloak, if you will, who walks with me, the closer I get to the end, the closer we grow together. A big part of the reason I enjoy reading my son's journals, my oldest son's journals, is you see, as he gets closer and closer to the end of his life, this joy unspeakable. The joy of one who's been drawn closer and closer to his Savior as they progress toward their rendezvous point. I need not fear death. I need not fear this world. 
For Jesus is here now. And though I can't see Him, I love Him. And though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and can rejoice in sorrow and hope with joy that is unspeakable and filled with glory. God's first present of Christmas, a living hope. Unwrap it if you haven't already. Experience the blessing of the hope for then that has come alive for you and me for now. Let's pray. God, thank you that you did not leave us alone. That you came and lived and died and live again. That in you I might have life. A rebirth here in this life. And a renewal, a resurrection and restoration to the glory that I need that can only come from you. This Christmas, let my hope be a living hope and show us how imperishable you are as you meet us wherever we are. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.